0: Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. Hi, and today we are uh, introducing a special show. This is our uh, predictions for the coming year, 2023. And I'm excited to be joined uh, on this show by many of my fellow hosts on Healthcare Now Radio. And we are going to share our predictions and have a discussion this year about how they might be implemented. So joining me today, I have Beth Friedman. She's the senior partner at Finn. Partners Jim Tate, president uh, of EMR Advocate, Matt Fisher, general counsel at Carrium, Tom Foley, he's the chief growth officer at GenieMD. Roberta Mullen, uh, the uh, uh, station manager and producer at Healthcare Now Radio. For those of you that don't know, that's what makes all of this stuff happen. Uh, Fred Goldstein, my uh, good friend and partner from uh, the whole of COVID 19, he's the president at uh, Countable Health, and Dan Marino, he's- the managing partner at Lumina Health Partners. Welcome, everybody. Hello.
1: Welcome, Nick. Thank, thank
0: you. Thank you for having us. I, thank, thank goodness you. they all replied. I, I, everybody would be thinking there was nobody actually on this call for a second there, right? Um, so let's kick off. We uh, we talked a little bit about this ahead of time. We're going to give everybody an opportunity uh, to share their thoughts, their uh, top three predictions for 2023. Uh, Tom, I'm going to kick off with you. Sure. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the program. So uh, top three predictions for 2023,
1: um, I'm predicting that uh, we'll have a similar dot-com crash of, uh, <laughs> with startups. Uh, considering the, um, the, uh, the interest rate uh, increases and um, some of the inabilities to generate real revenue, uh, we'll see um, a significant impact in the, in the startup arena forcing them to either um, raise uh, uh, additional capital at unfavorable terms, uh, initiate layoffs, and we've already seen this with some of uh, the startups, and and or sell off the company. That's uh, prediction number one. Prediction number two, I'm going to switch uh, arenas here. Pharmacists, one of the most trusted resources in the delivery of care market, will actually be given... Um, the ability to uh, uh, provide uh, direct patient care, including ERX. And remote patient monitoring coupled with chronic care management will reach its tipping point and become the new standard of care, uh, considering the financial woes of uh, hospital systems and and providers in the reimbursement uh, arena. So this is an opportunity for uh, additional cash flow, additional profitability, and uh, as I always say, Mikey likes this. Uh, 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 patients uh, like the idea of uh, remote patient monitoring and, and uh, care in the home. Thanks, Tom. Matt
0: Fisher.
2: Yeah, so one, one part I think we've been waiting for for a while is you know, kind of getting the final HIPAA regulation from the proposed rule in the RFI that had come out, I think, almost a year ago now. Um, I think coupled with that, the part two regulation that was just proposed, uh, I'm optimistic that will finalize maybe mid by mid-year next year. We'll (laughs) try to get that to move at a light speed for the government. Second prediction, I think we'll continue to see um, on the digital and virtual care front a move away from point solutions to platforms where you can have uh, kind of one-stop shopping that you can build on top of. And then the final one, this kind of comes from um, having just been at a conference and hearing a couple reporters from Politico, but I think there will be a telehealth bill that comes out of Congress that will help uh, permanently enact some of the waivers. And if I had a hazard prediction on that front, I think that will be ready by the fall, because I feel like I read recently that there is a prediction that the public health emergency will finally end maybe sometime first quarter. Um next year, which then with the 100 with like the 150 or so day trail period that came out of one of the bills that uh, this year, that takes you to the end of the fiscal year, uh, the government's fiscal year and allows for the renew everything to renew uh, with the new fiscal year next fall.
0: So, uh, I, I told all of my guests that we would wait and we won't have comments, so I, it's unfair because I'm the host, so I get to sort of intervene, and I'm just going to say commentary here. Matt Fisher thinks the government's going to move at light speed. Jim Tate, your three. Well,
3: thank you. Uh, the, fir- <laughs> the first is uh, Tefka. tefka has been uh, working uh, really at the opposite of uh, light speed, more at glacial speed, but uh, uh, prediction as well as a wishful hope is that TEFCA uh, will start actually getting some traction. A lot of work's been done over the years, but we still don't have any Qualified Health Information Network, so uh, that's been delayed for a few quarters, certainly. Uh, hopefully, TEFCA will get off the ground and start gelling. Uh, second is the fire API. That's the requirement to promote interoperability. EHRs having to meet that new certification criteria. So the function, technical functionality has been worked out, but the work process behind it in the real world is gonna cause confusion because if Apple with their Apple Watches comes to a small EHR vendor and says, we wanna be authorized to be able to access your FHIR server, uh, the workflow and process of how the documentation occurs, and 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 even uh, how large uh, third parties try to contact those EHR vendors is kind of up in the air. That workflow has not been established, and it's going to be confusing. And the third thing is, I think in. I've actually uh heard over the last quarter a lot some of the smaller EHR vendors I work with are gonna throw in the towel the towel this year. Some of these folks have been around ten or fifteen years, but the uh kind of referring back to the fire API, they say that's about as far as we can stretch our capabilities from a development side. So I think that, so I think that's gonna happen.
0: All right. Thanks, Jim. Roberta.
4: I've got Big uh, big retail, especially the pharmacy, I think that they're going to continue to acquire and get bigger and they're going to have a bigger footprint in care next year. I think that patient engagement and experience platforms are going to do the jockeying around and see who who floats and who who's going to take over that, be the dominant one, because I don't think uh, all 600 of them are going to be able to do anything. So we'll see who uh floats to the surface on that. And then on the interoperability, I don't believe that we're going to get anywhere with that. I think that Tefka is uh it's already um it's already 12 years now. It's now um they were supposed to have the Q Hens this quarter. They say it's next quarters. I don't believe that, but I think that they'll move the needle very slightly if anything. And I think that the same players are going to be in it. And the same players are going to be the naysayers.
0: Okay, fantastic. Roberta, I I just uh, floor-dropping 600 patient engagement. That's uh, extraordinary to me.
4: Aren't there there at least that many?
5: It could be. (laughs) Fred Goldstein. Yeah, thanks so much. Pleasure to be on with this incredibly esteemed group here. My first one actually is an extra one that I'm going to throw in here because of all the work we've done over the last couple of years, and that is that COVID is officially over as of January 1. We can all just move on. It'll not infect anybody anymore, and we can continue our lives without worrying about that disease anymore. So we're going to start first. Uh, 2023 is the year that population health finally does something about social determinants of health or the social influences of health. They've talked about it forever. And now we're beginning to see some early entrants. The question becomes, do they have to have a CPT code for every dang one of them, or are we going to move to value-based care and they can actually pay for it through what they save? The second is everybody talks AI and machine learning, and now it's going to come. The dawn is here, but it's not in the cool areas of looking at x-rays or some of these other health issues. It's in improving system processes. It's in document stuff converting documents, setting up appointments, and things like that that will be much more effective in improving the efficiency of the healthcare system. Whether that gets down to prices or not is another point. And the final area is we just had a brand new gene therapy approved for hemophilia B, Mm -hmm. $3.5 million. I think that's going to be a wake-up call to employers and payers because the only way to finance that is through some different mechanism. You can't pay three and a half million dollars up front and watch that individual go to another health plan or another group. And so it's going to require some innovative thinking, and I think we'll finally get some movement towards some multi-year types of contracts and outcomes based based on that one drug.
0: Another floor dropping number from Fred, 3.5 and uh, yes, exactly. Dan
6: Marina, Thanks, Nick. Happy to be here. Um, my first prediction is that uh, I, we're going to continue to see a lot of advancement from retail, from these non traditional healthcare providers advancing into healthcare. And I really believe that not only are they going to address a lot of the primary care needs that uh, we're seeing, especially with the younger population, but they're going to start to integrate wearables and really create some influences around lifestyle and almost taking social determinants of care and, and building a whole lifestyle component of that. I think there's a there's a good advancement occurring as it exists right now. The second thing is given the financial pressures that we're under, um, I believe there's gonna be some pretty cons- considerate, considerable consolidation that's going to occur uh, potentially with some of these non-traditional providers merging with a healthcare system. It, it seems like we're dabbling in that right now. And especially with where some of these large retail players are, even technology. Boy, if you know somebody like an Amazon or Google was to be able to consolidate with the healthcare system, man, what a disruptive change that would be. So, so that could be, you know, I, I think something that would be interesting going down the road. And then the last one is really around reimbursement. I, I believe that there is going to be some changes in reimbursement this year. Continuing to advance Medicare Advantage, um, providers are having to assume more and more risk. And I do believe with Fred that uh, there's going to be a lot of advancement in population health this year. Fantastic, Dan. Uh, Beth Friedman, last but not least.
7: Hey Nick, thanks for having me on today. This has been such an informative uh, panel and group. I really appreciate it. So I have three. Um, I had the opportunity to sit in on several panel sessions at a conference this fall that were led by chief innovation officers at the big health systems and hospitals and really inspired by what they're doing. I think we're gonna see um, to the point of digital health technologies and applications. I think we will see some success stories out of that with specific use cases coming out of those innovation centers. What I was inspired by was, I think that two things will change this year. We will see them have a return on investment, uh, whether that's financial or patient satisfaction or clinician <coughs> burden. burden. And I also think we're gonna see more integration of, with the EHRs, with the legacy systems that are there. So I think those, coming out of those innovation centers, I think we'll see um, two new things, it'll be refreshing. I think there'll be more focus on um, that payer provider data exchange of information. There is so much administrative burden waste on both sides of that equation. I think we'll see some of that AI, machine learning, RPA, doing some automation between payers <coughs> and providers and that just trying to get that bill paid, the claims, the audits, everything involved with that. And then the last thing, I think several folks have mentioned pharmacists. Um, You know, community pharmacists now have the green light to to start prescribing medications for COVID. And I think that trend of the pharmacist being sort of a helpful adjunct clinician in the community, I'm really excited to see that continue.
0: Fantastic. Well, um, I appreciate everybody's uh, thoughts, suggestions. Uh, We're going to have a A discussion on this. Just before we do, I'm going to throw down my uh, top three. And I'll start with home health tech. And it sort of resonates with a couple of the folks that talked about um, uh, remote patient monitoring. I think that's going to really expand. We're going to see more of the clinically valid versions. And specifically, I think the ones that will take off will be the passive ones. So everything that requires no input, no uh, desire. So we've seen some of these LiDAR capabilities. You literally just put them in, and they're sensing. I think they're going to make big differences. Um, I I heard a couple of people talking uh, about AI. And I'm going to say automating intelligently, I think, is going to be the key to this. This is not just, hey, we've got AI, this sort of narrow focus. But actually, augmenting intelligently is a better version of AI, in my view. And I think we'll see that. Although, i, I got to be honest, I pushed back on this um, automation that um, Beth talked about, which says, hey, we're going to automate this uh, exchange of uh, uh, you, you know contracts, because I think the whole pre-auth process is not about technology. It's about actually denying payments and its economic flow, is, is my personal view. And then finally, I'll round this out because I heard a number of people talk about pharma and the pharmacist. I hope the pharmacists are going to kill PBMs and toss them into the dust where they belong because they provide uh, essentially a, another middleman that is not delivering value. And we have to fix that drug pricing, as Fred essentially identified with the 3.5 million. So, that for me is my three. I'm going to open it up to the floor the piece that I heard a little bit of conflict on that I'd like to sort of start the discussion and you know feel free to jump in is interoperability so on the one hand uh, you know Matt sees us going at light speed with the government saying yeah we're going to do this but I heard Jim saying yeah it's happening Roberta Uh, What are your thoughts? Are we really going? How do we get to interoperability? Because if we're going to get rid of all of those EHRs that are thrown in the towel, that was kind of surprising, Dan. Thanks for letting us know. Is how do we get to it? Because I I feel like we've been doing this for as long as I've been in this business.
1: So I'll kick that off, if you don't mind. Uh, My fourth guess, or my (laughs) fourth uh, prediction, would have been the ONC uh, finally removes uh, EHR certification from the uh, requirements. As well, uh, I've worked for some EHRs. I was very involved in direct messaging when that first came out under MU2. I I think that the interoperability model is is flawed in the context of we are still working in a probabilistic record-matching algorithm as opposed to a deterministic uh, model. And because of that, we are still injecting errors into the system and creating harm. And until we fix that problem, we can't have interoperability.
0: I, I, I'll I say, yeah, that that's true. But to me, that's sort of a fundamental matching problem that we've been also trying to solve. And the government said you can't go and create a national patient identifier. That's in the regulations. I, I just I'm sorry. Yeah, the but guy on but this when, when you do
1: interoperability at a larger scale, it, it, it kind of manifests the problem. Right. If you keep interoperability or record matching uh, flaws uh, at a local level, it mitigate it, it doesn't resolve the problem, it doesn't make it right. But every EHR has this problem. And until we recognize that we'll never have a good uh, interoperability network because we can't match the record correctly a hundred percent of the time.
4: This Roberta, did you say that ONC is going to you think that they will uh that
1: was that was my
0: hope and prayer. Oh, I have, I have, and prayer. I have, I have I, no illusions there's no I hope praying in healthcare <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that the predictions don't rely on hope and prayer because yeah. <laughs> can not
5: allow for that what about pharma? Fred I'm sorry uh, yeah I, I want to comment. I'll comment on pharma if you'd like I love your PBM comment because I think that's a dream and uh um <laughs> so they, I'm I'm hoping and dreaming as well I get the PBMs today that they're going to disappear um But the the idea of primary care and retail is fascinating and my issue with that is we keep sort of ignoring the fact that the largest employer of primary care doctors in the country today is united and how many are going to be left after they acquire the rest and so i think it may be a little bit late for some of that acquisition the hospitals have done it and some of the others and then the question becomes is it really a retail deal with primary care i mean Potentially what they're doing is most of them are is picking up ARNPs or nurse practitioners. And those tend to be staffing more of those retail clinics, which is a good way to do it, particularly in rural areas. But I wonder if uh, it might be a bit a little bit late when you talk about interoperability, well then creating those kind of links is also an extremely difficult area. Although a bunch of people are working on that now. And obviously if you've got CVS Aetna, you've got one company.
4: Robert again, remember though, that far- the pharmacies are, one very local and two they've had computer systems way before i was installing pharmacy computers in the 80s they they have the uh, interoperability within themselves they have the big systems they've they've figured it out nobody seems to want to ask them about it but they have figured it out
0: what well, what have they figured out
4: well you can go anywhere i i get my drugs at cvs i can go uh, when I'm up in New Jersey, I can go there. They can tell me what I have and and fill them.
5: I, yeah, I mean, there I no think problem. that's that's very true, Roberta, this right again. But but mm-hmm. the issue becomes e-prescribing is now a requirement. You know, we're seeing that mm-hmm. come out. So all of the all of the healthcare systems can e-prescribe. So whether the connection for that is because the CVS pharmacy or Rite Aid or every, any of them has it, or the provider has it, or the payer is watching it monitored through their systems. I think pharmaceutically, we're connected pretty heavily. But as you talk about with interoperability and the rest of it it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, and so I wonder if uh, if maybe some of these pharmacies might be a little late to the game, and then the question becomes, am I going there for my primary care because it's better, or am I going there because it's just easy, but does it really overall improve my health because I did one visit an urgent care center or a pharmacy? I think that's I the, the difficult part. Yeah, so Matt, I feel you need
0: to jump in, because I beat up on you right at the start. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think the retail question is interesting because i think it's just at the moment just creating more fragmentation because they're you know they're trying to draw people into a pharmacy whether you're talking about cbs any minute clinics or village co-locating a walgreens like it's still all by, by itself you know i think until we create better continuums where you can have care seamlessly going across different locales and different places where all the issues that we've all identified are going to remain Because we haven't created, we haven't fostered a system where it encourages people working together, like whether you're talking about interoperability, reimbursement, all of that, right now you're still incentivized to hold on jealously to whatever piece that you can get a part of, because that's the only way you're going to profit, or that's the only way you're going to primarily profit, since value-based care continues to lag behind.
0: Right. And Dan, you talked about that, the sort of, you know, the increase in the wearables. But for me, that requires that interoperability. And that's the piece that misses in all of this. Oh, so great. Show up. You've got the system, but it's not all connected. I mean, I want to see that because, as Roberta said, everything's local. It's easy to go to the pharmacy because it's right there, especially for the remote underserved communities.
6: Yeah, Nick, I I agree. I think we're going to see levels of interoperability that's going to occur. I believe. You're going to see it occurring first very local or very localized, where you're going to have the pharmaceuticals, you're going to have the local healthcare providers create some level of interoperability, and then I believe it's going to be regional, and then it's going to be more national. They're going to have to be able to do that, one, because care is localized, two, you can't uh, boil the ocean, right? So you have to solve this problem incrementally, incrementally, rather and then be able to really grow from there. So yeah, I think we're gonna to start to see a lot of a good, good waves occurring in the integration of retail with providers and the whole interoperability issues. Uh,
0: of course, I'm gonna agree because that's incremental. And, and uh, Beth, in, in fairness to you, I jumped on you as well. So uh, you ought to be able to respond and, and push back. So go ahead.
7: No, I'm, I'm just actually gonna concur about the community focus with the pharmacies. Um, Getting those community pharmacies integrated in their local healthcare delivery systems, whether it's through sharing or being a part of that population health platform, having their data go back into the HR, being part of that care coordination team, I do think some of those smaller community pharmacies might make better strides than some of the big guys.
0: Interesting. Jim, we, we beat up on you a little bit with the whole, and, and you were you know positive on APIs, and you talked about Apple. Apple just signed a deal with Epic. That sort of yeah. blew my mind a little bit. Where, sure. where do you
3: think? Uh, you know, uh, before we run out of time, let me bring up uh, something else here that I think is going to be fascinating to watch this next year, and that is Amazon moving into primary care. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they've acquired, is, is it One Medical? Is that the name? You know, and, and so, you know, uh, they've been able to move into food distribution with Whole Foods. We'll see uh, what they can do with uh, a primary care model. That's going to be fascinating to watch this year.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, there's there's you know that's how we all get things. I realized that when I went into the store for a first uh, you know the first time into one of these sort of you know places that I used to shop, it was deserted and there was nothing there. We've we've moved right. to this online sort of experience. <laughs> Um, so uh, unfortunately as we do each uh, and every week we run out of time um, I just want to make a call out these are all my colleagues and guests and I would encourage my listeners to go uh, take a listen we'll have the links to each of their shows you've heard a little bit of their insights obviously slightly different perspective you know all credit to Dan for pulling out the incrementalist in his uh, commentary so yay for that just saying Um, and, and 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 hands down, you know, all of these folks showed up. Uh, I didn't say, when can you meet? I said, this is the time and place. So uh, I'm very grateful to all of you, uh, to Beth, Jim, Matt, Tom, Roberta, Fred, and Dan for making the time, coming on the show, sharing your thoughts. I'm interested. I think it was helpful to me. Hopefully, it'll be interesting uh, to our listeners. So thanks to everybody for joining me on the show.
3: Happy holidays. Thank
4: you. Thank Thank you.
0: Appreciate it. Me,
3: Albert. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com and tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution.